0: Welcome to the Here She Is podcast, where we talk to leaders of all genders about how women can reach their full potential. Here She Is was founded by three sisters, Julia, Sarah and Ronja Wagner, who are based out of Silicon Valley, Brussels and Munich. Today's interview is led by me, Julia, and was originally recorded in late 2017. My guest is Diva Tomei from Rome, Italy. She is the founder and CEO of sustainable indoor living technology startup Solenica and inventor of a lighting robot called Kaya. In our conversation, we talked about how Silicon Valley's Singularity University sparked her desire to become an entrepreneur, how a hobby became a greater mission, why someone built her a temporary statue and how several big crises contributed to her resilience. Let's jump into it uh hi Diva <laughs> Hi there and hello to Rome and I'm in
1: uh, <laughs> Mountain View silicon valley <laughs> and it's uh, about three thirty in the afternoon now for you right yes indeed um so as we all know um discipline and motivation um uh, are muscles so how stretched uh, are you at this time of the day
2: <laughs> <laughs> well i'm well, you know I'm handling multiple things in parallel um, uh, as always but um, yeah you learn how to deal with this kind of um, you know parallel thinking and parallel execution it's 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 really fine at the end of the day.
1: Well i um, actually just jumping uh, right into it then and um, because this is one thing um, I wanted to ask you so you yeah. do a lot of different things in, in parallel right so you mm-hmm. um uh, you're running your business. And uh, can, can you please uh, let me know, um, how do I pronounce it correctly? Uh,
2: Solanica is the name of the startup. Solanica. Okay. Sol- Solenica.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you run that as CEO. Um, and then you are also very engaged um, in the, let's say, female entrepreneur scene, um, uh, giving various talks. And then um, you are also, uh, you have different other responsibilities. So you're a member of um, the Women Aerospace Association. You're an outgoing curator of the ROM Hub for the yeah. global Shapers Community of the World Economic Forum. <laughs> that was a long yeah. title. And <laughs> how do you how do you juggle all that?
2: Um, I think it. it Ultimately, it comes down to, well, obviously, you know, there's a physical limit, which is the number of hours you've got in a day. Yes. But then within that physical limit, I think you can get really good at, um, at becoming efficient. So you learn sort of how to, for example, one of the things like one of the major learning curves from, you know, maybe when I was in academia to, you know, today was um, things, soft skills like uh, writing emails very fast. Effectively and uh, having like maintaining a very sort of gentle and non-aggressive uh, tone because you know when you when you start reducing the length of your emails because you just don't have time for all the little bits um, of uh, sort of formality let's call it Absolutely. and they they can come across a little arrogant or maybe a- aggressive or you know some some tone you don't want to actually them to come across with, so you that was something that i learned like sort of a soft skill that you acquire if you pay attention to it which i do because i think it's it's important to always communicate um you know in in the best in the best way and put people in their best mood while receiving your communication so that that was for example one thing that i learned and as i was shortening the emails i, I was getting more efficient so i could do more yes. things
1: do you have a hack for that? How do you do that? How do you express emotion and gratitude in an email that's maybe just three sentences long?
2: Oh my God. Uh, you know what? I don't, um, let me think if there's something that's like a pattern.
1: Um I mean, I resonate very much with what you're just saying, right? Everyone <laughs> probably here uh, in Silicon Valley knows the famous Elon Musk emails where uh, someone put uh, sweat and tears into a project um, trying to pitch it to him uh, for a year or so and then um, communicates the outcomes in an email and he writes back, okay,
2: <laughs> or <Yeah. "Not>
1: approved, <laughs> right? So talk about yeah empathy and and motivating
2: people it's just really it's really just like a matter of choosing the words I mean obviously okay is the shortest thing you can ever write it's two letters right so like you've you've really you've shortened it so you maximized the timing the the time that you minimize sorry the time that it takes you to write it but you've also completely lost any empathy or emotion that you, you could deliver with maybe three words like that's like great job. I love it. Okay. Like something like that. You know, it's right. um yeah. It doesn't have to be hi, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't have to be like that. But um it's um I, I mean, you know, I, I ultimately maybe <laughs> Elon Musk is is uh, is very overwhelmed <laughs> with <laughs> the multiple things that he does. So uh, I wouldn't take it personally if he he wrote me an email saying okay.
1: I'll, yeah. I'll bear that in mind next time he answers me. (laughs) (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, Yeah, okay. So um, another thing to get this straight, um, did I understand correctly that there was a statue recently revealed in your honor?
2: Oh yes, this was fun. So um, <laughs>
1: that's, a, that's incredible.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll start from 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 the I'll give you a premise. So like about a year ago, I won this award for women in digital innovation. That was uh, granted by the L magazine, uh, the Italian uh, Italian version of L magazine, um, and the sponsor there was Huawei. Uh, so they sort of gave me this uh, this phone, this Mate Nine, um, as a, as, a, as a prize. And then through that, they kind of kept in contact. So when they had to come up with this Italian um, version of the uh, Huawei Mate 10 release campaign, they contacted me. So there's three Italian entrepreneurs that they selected and I'm one of them. Um, And with this marketing campaign, they've really tried to sort of um, shatter all, uh, all sort of conventions and notions on um, on paths that lead you to, uh, to do something great in your life and to something useful for society, right? Mm-hmm. You usually get a statue when you're at the end of that path. Sometimes you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, but, but you, you know, like you've, you've kind of completed it and then they make a statue of you. So what they yep. did is reverse this paradigm and they said, we want to, uh, we want to support and celebrate these three entrepreneurs because we think, that they've got sort of what it takes to define three interesting paths that will ultimately help society. And we're making them a statue today. Now, obviously, that was a temporary statue. (laughs) It's already down. They 3D scanned me. So it was made of um, uh, polyesterol, I believe. I'm not sure the name of the material, but it's very light sort of material so they disassembled it but you know it was on show for like three four days and and this was
1: the message that that's kind amazing of and i did. love the message you're so right yeah. Yeah. yeah this is what i think is always said about funerals right because everyone all of a <laughs> sudden shows up uh, indeed honor and uh, the person uh, is not there to um, yeah see yeah who, who all shows gratitude and, and, and acknowledgement yeah um, yeah. Okay, but let's not talk about funerals. I mean, this is an amazing no. accomplishment <laughs> uh, and congratulations on that. Um, but Thanks. Uh, that's that's really great. And so you have um, been uh, inspired, I, if I understand correctly, by um, your visit of um, Singularity University
2: mm-hmm. in yeah.
1: So can you tell us a little bit um, about that? Um, I'm very interested in, in, in yeah, this grow growth mindset, and how yeah. you get into it, and how you can, um, um, yeah, make it your own, and also, um, what is it about Silicon Valley um, or this particular setting at Singularity University that um, really inspired you and make you act right away?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I have to sort of give you my starting point there. I wasn't always an entrepreneur. I I started as an academic, a researcher, a scientist. So I. Uh, do my bachelor's in Roman biotechnology then I moved to University of Cambridge to do uh, My PhD in bioinformatics and it was while I was spending my years in Cambridge like actually right in the middle of my PhD that I was selected by Singularity University to go to NASA and and do these four months. I did the graduate studies program in 2010 um, and be exposed in this sort of very intensive uh, course on um, the impact of exponentially growing technologies on, on the challenges of humanity. And obviously here I'm talking about food, poverty, education, energy, and uh, space exploration, uh, yes. medicine, right? So what is really important in today, in, today's, uh, in today's world as a topic that we need to work on and how can technology aid us in in getting to where we need to be? Um, so this is kind of the the mindset that I was confronted with once I got there. And well, you know, it's I believe that once you put it that way, it's it's easy to see why it would it would make such a big impact on you, right? Because you're there listening to uh, the excellence in each one of these fields, um, talk about the state of the art of the technology within that field, and how can we go even farther? And how can we do even better? Um, so. Um, that experience, obviously, I mean, obviously, it did change me a lot. Yeah, you're
1: among the greatest, and you're pursuing the greatest mission.
2: Exactly, Um, exactly. And it changed me completely in the sense that, not completely as in, I was not interested in these uh, topics before, I was, it just gave me sort of, it it allowed me to see how I could get there. Uh, And that was not necessarily through academia, which I had thought, up until then that it was the only sort of path that i could follow but through tech entrepreneurship so uh, you know leading the way in this alternative way um and which i find a sort of much more comfortable and fitting for the person that i am and my you know personality traits and uh that 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 it just it it's, it's just a better fit for me. Um, I have more control uh, on the speed and the efficiency and the whole process. And it's you mean therefore, now that you
1: are um, in charge and you lead yeah. our company and um, yeah. you can um, steer everything.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Even more than what I could do within academia. So that's sort of why I embarked on the path of entrepreneurship and why I'm staying on it and I, I'm loving it. So I think it'll be pretty much what I keep doing until I, you know, I'm done. <laughs> yes. and
1: so this program lasted how long?
2: Um, it, it was the four month program. So it was the, the longest uh, program that they had. I mean, I literally lost like well, a year of my biological life there because I barely slept, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was totally worth it. Totally worth it.
1: Right. Yeah, there's also shorter sessions, I believe, right? That are just
2: Yes, they've uh, popped up more and more since then and they're called executive programs. Yeah. And they're like two weeks and you know, it's much much shorter, which kind of give you a bit of a glimpse. Uh yeah. but they don't go as deep as uh, what we've done.
1: And so um you finished that and then um what did you do afterwards? I
2: then I got back, well, you know, I got back to Cambridge and I finished my PhD, even though it was pretty clear to me that at that point, you know, I, I, I was in need of a pivot to speak startup language. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but so I, I did finish my PhD uh, and um, I started working on a number of startups that I've eventually exited from just to get some experience under my belt within this new sort of field that I was interested in. Yes. Um, and uh, and that's what I did. So uh, at the same time, I worked on a prototype, which today you would find out is Kaya. But at the time, yeah. it was just something that I built because I had the problem of natural lighting uh, not coming into my uh, office space. Yeah. So I started building it, and uh, it was really not a startup at all. It was just my solution to a problem I was having experiencing there. Uh, so um, I just sort of keep tagging along these two years, finishing up my, wrapping up my PhD and uh, working on these sort of side projects, whether it be startups in bioinformatics uh, or uh, this prototype, right? Um, but, but so the big change kind of happened gradually in my mind because I started noticing that um, people coming into my office were telling me, oh my God, this is so cool. I have the same problem at home. Can you build me one? Um, That's once how it starts. <laughs> yeah, once that started and I, you know, after a bit, I noticed the pattern and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm solving other people's problems. Yes. So nice. maybe I could uh, think about, you know, extending this as a, as a mission and building a company around this, which is kind of what I did when I uh, went back to Rome. I assembled a group of uh, close friends and we started applying to accelerators with this idea of sort of uh, tackling indoor health with uh, smart, accessible devices that could um, that could uh, renovate and, and increase the quality of your indoor environments. Uh, starting from light, because that's kind of what my experience had been. But, you know, there's many other areas in which Uh, We we are much in need of a a device that can impact and increase the quality of that area, like air quality, like water quality, like food quality, you know, so many. So uh, we are ultimately building an IoT company within the indoor health space, uh, and we're starting at lighting, Uh, and uh, and this is kind of how it was born. It was very organic in a way, you know.
1: Yeah, you might uh, have seen that we have already interviewed um, on our blog uh, Orania Jojo-Saku, Judge, uh, Judge and she may please forgive me uh, if I um, mis, um, uh, pronounce that right now, but she's the secretary of um, General Lighting Europe in Brussels. We already <laughs> talked to her about the importance of lighting and yeah. our, uh, settings also. So, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sitting here with my shady um, uh, light on the desk and uh, I'm already <laughs> worried about the video quality and all that. So, yeah, very much uh, resonate with, with the need to change our habitat.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so how did this go then? Um, you mentioned you already uh, you were more or less picking up um, the work. Um, on, on Kaya, um, mm-hmm. out of the need and out of your own desire to change something. How did you go about building that prototype and, and actually making it real? How long did it take you and whose help were you taking? Oh, uh,
2: several years. Uh, it was initially a project I worked on with my dad. Uh, that's because we've always worked on projects together since I was a, a child. That That's kind of how he you know, how he educated me um, as a maker. So I've been writing software since I was very young and building stuff with my hands since I was very young. So it is sort of my approach to problem solving uh, in general, just very visual, very building things, very um, executive, so to speak. Um, So that's what I did when I had this problem uh, back in Cambridge. I assembled a 3D printer, the cheapest I could find on the market, which is some is one you have to assemble yourself, and mm-hmm. I wish you know I hadn't done that. It took me a week because it's very hard. You have to get the axes just right; otherwise, the printing is completely offset. Well, anyways, but uh, so I don't recommend it. <laughs> Spend the extra two hundred bucks and get it you know pre-assembled. But but anyways, so th- that's how it started, and I kind of you know just printed initially with my 3D printer all these little components that I was drawing and designing with my dad and and then um, we solved the problem Uh, also uh, actually a little bit now that I think about it I'm to to find uh, the actual way I wanted to go about solving the problem uh, it was at singularity that I had the illumination when we were talking about energy and heliostats because uh, you know Kaya is a heliostat it's uh, the very first residential heliostat that yeah. in the world but, but uh heliostats are a technology that has been around for the past 40 years as an industrial technology because what they do is they redirect sunlight just like kaya does but the target is a thermodynamic tower that generates um uh, steam and therefore runs a turbine that makes electricity you know so it's just about molding it was really more about molding that technology and and uh, sort of um you know reshaping it to fit residential needs which means looking to a better design decreasing cost and all that kind of uh, parameters that you would have to consider yes,
1: yes. yeah okay and uh, so over time then you came to the prototype that mm-hmm. you liked and that could uh, be manufactured at scale
2: Yes, I mean, I wouldn't be super proud to show you like the older prototypes because they do not look good. One of the first things I did was uh, was uh, you know get on the team a, a product designer who could um, you know come in there and be like hmm,
1: let's uh, let's try to make this look better. <laughs> yes, nice. Yeah. And so um, now you found the company and um, you, what is the status right now in terms of manufacturing and and um, you started with a um uh, a campaign yeah
2: we did a crowdfunding campaign on indiegogo um and we're actually still on there as an in-demand uh project uh which means you know the the prices aren't as discounted as during the campaign but it's pretty discounted still so i would recommend pre-ordering yours uh still today uh, we're still going to be going for another uh, probably uh month until the end of the year and then we're going to close it Uh, close it uh, shut it down um we are manufacturing those uh, three ish units that we've been um that people have pre-ordered backers have pre-ordered and right now we are in the middle of uh liaising with certification bodies for uh safety and uh emissions certifications which any product that is sold to the us canada or europe has to obtain yes yeah that's um that's that's a field that could use some innovation. I'll tell you that.
1: The uh, you mean the certification? Certification.
2: Field? Yes. Yes. For sure. In,
1: in terms of uh, just making it faster, or making it more digital, um, or uh, what's the disruption that's needed?
2: Uh, like the knowledge. There is a complete lack of of knowledge and understanding of the field. So you get first of all a lot of different opinions on which certifications apply, um, and. And then there's so many bodies with such different degrees of quality for the testing that, um, it's, you know, it's, it feels like this 1800s sort of, yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. Very well, disorganized,
2: very, very we'll disorganized talk about it later. Maybe, maybe my next startup will go and disrupt that field. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, my sister um, works for digital Europe, um, the uh, representation of several digital companies in, um, at the European Union, right so uh, maybe she can throw in a word there
2: <laughs> yeah, we could we should definitely do something about that
1: um, okay we'll have to get back to that so um, in terms of your entrepreneurial experience then so far and um, talking about hard things, um, what's something um, you you have learned along this journey now where you say you have changed or you have changed your um maybe knowledge about how certain things get done or work um
2: yeah like i you know when i was finishing my phd i thought that was the hardest thing i had ever done in my entire life um because phds are hard they are hard um so and but everybody knows that and while i was doing that i was thinking wow i cannot believe i pulled this off like it's it's so hard i i really showed resilience and all these like sort of determination what, what's,
1: what's one thing um, that you thought was really hard during the phd
2: um the commitment the commitment that uh you had to show um the perseverance and all these what, what i was saying is that it's funny because i started there which is already like a place where people say wow you you've got a phd you you must really you know Uh, You you must be really determined and, you know, very um, hardworking, which is true. But think of it that way. I started there. And then today I'm thinking, I'm looking back and that seems like the easiest thing I've done. Seriously, the easiest. Like, I am amazed that if I look back at how many times I was able to, like, fall and stand back up. uh, That's the number one quality you need is... Is just resilience. Yeah, um, I I was I was very impressed with myself on that, and you know, Can I just you
1: give me an example. What was a situation um, where you you fell and then you had to stand
0: um, up?
2: Yeah, well, things change all the time, right? So I'll I'll get two two very simple examples from during the campaign, and they they're not even that. New. There's just two out of like two hundred, but. Um, one of them was that we had to change the name from Lucy to Kaya during the campaign. Ah, okay. um, yeah, so that's not good, right? Because you've kind of marketed it all as Lucy and uh, now you have to change it to Kaya because there's trademark infringement possibilities in the future yeah. with Lucy that we did not want to have to deal with as we were growing. So we thought we'll take a hit now uh, and sort of, you know, prepare Yeah. Uh, Prepare the ground now and and like be done with it. Yeah, uh, but that was very time consuming. Uh, it involved legal work while the campaign was running, uh, and we uh, interns, our COO, CTO, uh, CMO, and me, did not sleep in turns. So because the campaign has to run, and and you just have to be there all the time. Yeah, uh, you cannot let it. You know, let it sit for two hours without answering or uh, without l- knowing what's happening at the perk level. So you just have to constantly be on it. Um, so while that was happening, we had this problem uh, because someone wrote and they were like, "Hey, you know, we have a trademark on this name that sounds a lot like Lucy, and we're in the lighting field. So you may want to, you know, change that." And we were like, "Oh my God!" It, it it felt like the end of the world, but you know what? It wasn't. It's just it wasn't. Today, I look back and it was like, okay, we, we dealt with it and we moved on. And then the next one is the design change that we had to do in April. So as we were preparing to do design for manufacturing and start manufacturing the old model, the, the, what we call the Lucy model now, uh, which was uh, a heliostat, very similar to how she looks today, but let's, let's say that she was wrapped up in a, in a transparent uh, ball like a sphere, mm-hmm. right? So uh, that was the old design and it w- looked very pretty. It was beautiful, um, but it was not manufacturable, it turns out. And it was not going to be very good for shipping because uh, when you're shipping, you have to take into account the weight. Kaya doesn't weight very much, so that was okay. But you have to take into account the um, dimensions. So the the three on the three axis, width, uh, height, and depth. And so it's a volumetric weight, it's so-called, that was, because of the sphere, was taking up so much space, about 50 kilograms. Now, to ship 50 kilograms <laughs> around the world, because our market is international, is extremely expensive. Yeah. It was going to cost us more than half of, uh, of what Kaya's retail wow. price was, which was ridiculous. And then if you think of it, once we got to retail, it would have been, a shelf space, so you know retailers would not have been happy with all yeah. the space that he yeah. takes up. Right? So we're like, oh my god, we need to, uh, we need to change this. We need to change the design. And it was like in April, the campaign was over. We had a lot of backers. We had, we had raised a lot of money, and we were moving into production with the old design. And you're and, essentially
1: yeah. saying to all the backers, uh, oh, yeah, so you just uh, ordered this. Um device here but we're going to take it
2: entirely now and obviously we always 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 um offer refunds because we are strong believers in the fact that a backer needs to love the project that they support because they will have to support it for a long time before it gets done so it is only fair that they always have the chance to say okay you know what uh i'm not feeling it anymore this is not working for me anymore it's totally fine for us uh, and we totally get it um and so you know we were like okay we're like brace yourself like uh, we're going to be hit with like thousands of dollars worth of refunds um there were six refunds six so you know what i'm wow, saying is that's
1: a pretty good rate everything
2: that you before you you get through a challenge, you think it's going to bring you down, and you in some ways it does. But it's just a matter of how you um, sort of how you how you take it and the perspective you have on things and how you handle it that is going to tell whether you stay down or you stand back up. I know this is you know this is something that is said a lot and it's like falling down, and standing back up, but it's it's really what it is. It's really what it is. Um, it's like yeah. learning how to walk. Yeah,
1: and then you'll fall uh, down a lot. <laughs> so, you experience very vividly that you kind of put things into perspective, and, and, mm-hmm. and now, with all these hard experiences through your PhD and uh, these um, experiences um, that were well complicated throughout your campaign, and now you have kind of a repertoire of uh, hard things to look back on. and Does it very much um, yeah make you optimistic for the future to tackle more challenges?
2: exactly because the challenges they only grow in magnitude and frequency so you need your history of challenges that you've overcome to um to be able to confront yourself with the new ones that are bigger and more frequent you know so, it's- so now
1: that you're um running this business and um, do you ever um, try to look up front in terms of risk management and to, to make an active um effort out of trying to foresee certain risks and things that could go wrong?
2: Um, I would say so, yeah. You also get better at predicting, uh, predicting risk and maybe uh, if, you, if you can, uh, avoid it altogether, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, so um, now in, in your um, daily life, uh, let's talk a little bit about habits. Um, what are some things um, that you think make you successful and make you get through your day and responsibilities. Oh God,
2: that's a good question. Um, I've noticed that it's very good to um, distribute distribute across your day moments of of how do you um, of like letting things out and letting your emotions out because mm-hmm. I find myself very much in sort of robot automation execution mode. Yes. And if, if I could have it my way, it would just be like that for 20 of the 24 hours in which I'm awake. But, um, funny thing is since, uh, I've decided to, uh, rescue a dog from the pound, his name is Jack. Um, he's been helping me. Uh, I, I believe this is called pet therapy or, or something, but he's been helping me <laughs> sort of have those, you know, few minutes of emotional release. When we play together, or I make him food, or we go out for a tiny walk, uh, and, and it's just moments in which I reconnect with my feelings, with my emotions, with with my human side. Um, and so, if the more I do that throughout the day, uh, the better I am at um, you know being like nice to people, uh, being uh, very efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just I'm all of all of my activity becomes uh, better, more efficient. Uh, and it's, it, it, it's a win-win because, you know, he also gets to, you know, a lot of, <laughs> he gets
1: to play, so he when... gets to relax.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I think this is the, the perspective I would have on this. It's like, be, you know, you're, you're going throughout, through the day executing things, right? Like yes. a robot or like, a, and, and you need to get back in touch with your, uh, human side it's very important and and that's how i found myself doing it after i got jack
1: yeah nice so jack is your office dog now uh
2: yes we, we actually have three yeah oh, our wow. cmo also has this uh, uh this uh ther- pet therapy sort of thing going on <laughs> but she has two dogs
1: <laughs> okay so that's the thing now pet therapy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and you've just um, alluded to to some of this, but um, what are some of the the problems um, and the things that let's say keep you up at night, or and um, that you really have to process, maybe discuss with a trusted person? Do you experience these moments a lot, and how how do you deal? Um,
2: yeah, so I used to a lot, especially one. When I was in charge of everything, and well, let's say I felt like I was in charge of everything, every department was my department, you know, and I had to have final say on everything. Um, As I relinquished control (laughs) and I allowed my executives, so my CTO, my CMO, uh, my COO, to take control over certain pipelines, um, then I also found myself... um, sort of becoming better at not worrying as as much about everything yeah um, so there, there was a smooth transition from worrying to the uh, utmost uh, about any little detail to um, really trying to figure out sort of on a more meta meta level sort of strategically uh, where we should position ourselves mm-hmm. and you know what our ceo should be thinking about yeah. So there's this transition when you grow as a company between you, the founder, who started everything and always had control on everything, to uh, moving to more of a strategic role where, um, where you're moving things around, but on a very macroscopic uh, level, a coordination sort of yeah. level.
1: Yeah. Uh, does it still occur to you, though, that um, you take a problem home and then... Um, I don't know um, how how the experience is for you. Um, does it occur to you that you you know you yes. lie in bed at night and you're thinking about this, or um, you really you have to talk through it with someone who's maybe not.
2: Part oh yeah, of it? for sure, for sure. That's when I pick up the phone and I call you know my wh- whoever I need to talk to. It could be an engineer. It could be you know uh, it could be Mackenzie or CMO. It could I just bounce sort of invent uh, with, with them. And, you know, even just talking about the problem makes the problem seem less uh, uh, less huge, less, less problematic. And then I, I try to also forget about it because, you know, my brain is always sort of like running in the background. Like yes. you're, you're, you're sort of, you're, you're, yeah, the microprocessor is like constantly running, yeah? So like even if you're not actively thinking about it, you're still thinking about it. Yes. So I try to like read a book, take a bubble bath or go on a walk with my dog. And, and then once I return to active thinking about that problem, my ideas are
1: much clearer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Reset the brain. Yeah. Okay. Um, you also um, um, have collected some um, venture funding, right? Yes. Uh, a little bit of it. We're so- actually fundraising right now. Yeah. Um, and i'm I'm thinking this is a process where you probably um, receive a lot of rejection also, right? because um, oh tons um, tons uh, you have to, to pitch to a lot of people um, to actually yeah get the the amounts and the people and um, the specific people that you, yes. you want to to win. So how do you deal with this rejection um, and and this whole process, which must be very nerve-wracking also, and a little bit strategic also, right? You're constantly thinking of how can I improve my pitch not to repeat that, um, uh, that projection.
2: I think you have, you need to have a lot of, um, um, sensitivity? I'm not sure about the word in English here. Uh, What I mean is you need to be good at reading other people's responses. Mm -hmm. So uh, whether that is, uh, it's usually a combination of body language and what they say and their expressions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So ultimately I found myself becoming better and better at Uh, reading those signals and understanding myself without them telling me necessarily whether it's a yes or no. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once you become good at that, and obviously once your pitch becomes uh, more and more uh, precise and more and more refined, which takes a long, a long time, not necessarily you, you get it nailed down right away. So, um, you know, once that happens and you get better reading people, then, uh, you feel it's just, it's so much easier to handle all this rejection because, um, it's kind of, well, okay. Like I, I know what the answer is. It doesn't really, it's, it's putting you back in control within this process where in theory you have no control, right? Mm -hmm. You mean you pitch and then you're like, Oh my God, I please pray to God, like, let it be a yes. Uh, so I think this is the frustrating part. It's where you feel like you've done all you could and now it's not up to you any longer. But guess what? It is. Because you can move on very quickly if you learn how to read these people's uh, ways and, and what they say and how they express themselves. Even though they're not saying no, the important is that you understand that it is a no so that you can move on and you, you're back in control. Then obviously what is very, very helpful uh, that you do before you start any of this rejection period is that you do a lot of homework. So you've yes. got a very long list of potential investors who you've, you've done all of your research on and you know that they would potentially be interested in learning about you so that it's easy for you to think, okay, moving on to the next one, moving on to the next one. You know, and, and then it's a statistics game, but you have control over
1: it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have an empathy hack? Um, so when you try to first, um, yeah, gain someone's attention, do um, you do something like, for example, trying to um, point out how this relates to their lives or uh, something like that? I don't know.
2: Yes. Always make them feel the pain. Uh, I I tend to uh, scare them a little bit with. Uh, <laughs> I just, no, but you know, I, it, it is scary even to me still today, I mean, to think that we live most, more than 90% of our lives in environments, we have no idea um, about, like, in terms of, of how much scientific research has, it, has, has been done on how healthy they are. It's like yes. zero. Yes. It's like zero, like there's a major disconnect here, right? With the amount of knowledge we have about these indoor environments and the amount of time we spend in them. It's so unbalanced, right? So (laughs) I just make them think of it that way. Uh, and then they're like, Oh my God. And like, you know, that's why you you feel sick and nauseous once you're in a room for more than two hours without opening your windows. It's not because of CO2. It's because your, your furniture is exuding volatile organic compounds and they're poisoning you, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's, it's you know, you, you dramatize a little bit, obviously. and just try- scaring
0: me a little bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you're trying to get that emotion out of them, but to get their attention. Uh, but, you know, whatever works. As long as you have their attention.
1: Yeah, you succeeded in my case. I think I have to really <laughs> open the window uh, right after this uh, phone call. <laughs> um, so, in terms of uh, personal growth um, and and feedback, um, what is your feedback style, and um, do you respond better to um, uh, uh, let's say regular feedback routine, um, where you you check in very often, or would you say you're more um, moved by Certain really strong, radical feedback that provokes you, um, even in, in a certain way. Oh well. Hmm.
2: You you mean in general, like feedback from investors, mentors, uh, team members, any yeah, kind of it, it could
1: be it could be um, anything. I mean, I'd also be interested in um, knowing what is, um, yeah, what, what feedback is the most important to you, if if there is a such thing as a prioritization. Um,
2: I think I treat any feedback in the same way. I am, I I tend to be overly analytical, which is sometimes a bad thing, but in this case, it's a good thing because it means I never let, uh, let a comment or a a sort of a, a piece of feedback or a comment slip through the cracks. I always process it and analyze it. And even though maybe I'm not Responding to it right away—it's—it's it's always in the back of my head, and I'm always processing it. So there, I don't ever disregard uh, someone's uh, someone's comment or someone's uh, piece of advice or anything like that. It's just not how I am. Um, I guess this has to—this can be traced back to how I was brought up. I, I think uh, because it's just not really not part of who I am. I'm not actively thinking. Uh, I should respond to this feedback or I should analyze this feedback. It's just automatically what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it could be any piece of feedback. It could be the the worst thing in the world. Like, oh, okay. If like, there's a hack, I think my dad knows this because he does that a lot. But uh, if you tell me like, oh, you can't do this, uh, that 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 will elicit very strong reaction from me on yeah, like okay. this will, was
1: sort of what i was <laughs> like after. yeah
2: yeah like don't tell me i can't do something <laughs> it, it it causes like you know uh, <laughs> neuronal pathways to to sort of fire through the brain and then i'm like okay i'll prove you wrong no, yeah i'm kidding i'm kidding but it's kind of like that
1: <laughs> yeah have you have you heard anyone say that to you in the process of uh, uh Selenica um until this point um yeah for sure, Solenica, for sure i think i just said it right and uh, wrong again <laughs>
2: no i no Solanica yeah yeah that's right um i think yes especially at the beginning when our ideas about our vision and what we were standing for as a company weren't as clear as they are today we started two years ago right and we were focused on lighting and this whole sort of understanding about the holistic sort of envir- indoor environment in a holistic way so from old, also other perspectives like water air Etc. Like it's it's kind of come in as we uh, did more research on all of these areas, and we have realized how uh, unhealthy our indoor indoors are from multiple perspectives. Right. Mm-hmm. So as we were getting the pitch right over the course of these two years, uh, obviously we we were deemed incomplete initially. Right. Sort of like oh your yeah. vision is not big enough, or your reach is not big enough. You're not and. I always I never took it personally because I understood where these people were coming from and they were right on on paper but what I knew inside is that I was in the middle of a process of understanding something okay yeah. understanding where I wanted to position the company understanding where we wanted to go um so it was completely understandable from their perspective was completely understandable to me but at the same time i wasn't overly worried because i knew that i was working on it and we were working on it Mm. as a
1: team. so you know it's it's uh, an interesting circle though right because you came from this um very mission driven um um background from singularity Mm -hmm. university where you were uh, solving big world problems then you you um, came across this uh, device um, that uh, essentially, or the idea for the device that really just solved your individual need in that moment. And then later on, people almost um, from the outside brought you back on this mission-driven path where you're solving yeah. a greater problem. So it's yeah. interesting and yeah. cycle how that yeah, closes yeah. again
2: it's never a recipe you know it's never like oh this happens then this happens and this should happen and if somebody tells you that it, there's it's supposed to happen some way i i don't think that they've got it right like it's not that's not how life works and it's not how you know probably most entrepreneurs today would tell you that they've come to where they are today
1: yeah yeah but it uh, it must be um Very motivating to have that mission again, right? To um,
2: to oh my god, yes! At
1: greater cost for the company to grow. Absolutely, absolutely. And and so to um, maybe just come come back to your responsibility um, with uh, as a curator of the Rome Hub, the global shapers. Um, what is it that you do there? And um, yeah, how much um, does that take up of your time?
2: Yeah so the global shapers is a, is a very interesting community started by initiative rather started by the world economic forum right it's their sort of um, younger community because only people between 20 and 30 years of age can enter it um and um i'm actually not the outgoing creator any longer because uh, that was last year right now i'm a, i'm an alumni uh, alumnus uh, of the of the community because i've uh, i've i've uh, exceeded the the mark of 33 years so you either uh, do five or rather now it's eight years in the community and then mm-hmm. it, and then it's uh and then you become an alumni or uh you you start and then by 30 the when you get 33 when you turn 33 uh you you have to leave so anyways i'm an alumni <laughs> and uh and what was really interesting about this community was that um, it gathered sort of very like-minded people that have uh, it inside them a social mission. It, it doesn't matter what the social mission is. It could be, you know, teaching uh, coding. It could be um, integrating, um, you know, uh, it, people from other parts of the world who come to Italy as immigrants. It could be anything, but it's, it's about bettering our society and uh, getting there through projects more than networking. This is really what distinguishes this community from many other initiatives and communities mm. out there. Mm. Uh, we are project-based communities, so we are assessed on how good we do based on how much impact our projects have on yeah. our local and um, it was amazing because, you know, I was returning from my Ph.D. Uh, back to Rome and I didn't really have anybody in Rome except maybe for a couple of friends. So it, in this community, I found, uh, well, I found a lot of things.
1: I even found love. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, so you, you touched on um, the question of coming back to Rome. And um, this was another thing I wanted to ask you about. So you you have made the point in, in different um, interviews that you can build your entrepreneurial network and your, your home base, your nest, um, in a different location also. So that yeah. you've come to the conclusion that you don't need to do it in Silicon Valley or um, any of the mm-hmm. other big um, entrepreneurial hubs or venture capital yeah. hubs of the world. How does this work out for you today?
2: Um, it's it's hard, I mean like you've got to do a lot of uh, what it takes to build um, a, a, like a startup or entrepreneurial community um, in a place that uh, doesn't necessarily have the cultural uh, or socioeconomical heritage that Silicon Valley has right so I mean if I'm thinking of Italy uh, there's a lot of uh, um, there's a lot to be said about the uh, lack of um, risk-taking on behalf of investors mm-hmm. that yeah. puts the, you know, the country's investments uh, in startups um, to, the, um, to the same level of, of, of Silicon Valley startups. So, you know, it's about really being competitive on the market right now. Italian startups are not competitive on the market. So they have a harder time uh, attracting um, international investment because they don't really have terms linked to their current investments that are standard considered standard by the by the investment community worldwide so it's just a bit harder and you know you gotta you gotta go and think about that too and i, I talk about this all the time here like i'm i'm really trying to uh sensitize if that's a word <laughs> investors here um about around this topic and and some of them are, are kind of coming through and you know they're adopting this model of okay well you know what because we don't know better we will co-invest with an american fund mm-hmm. and and that's a start you know it's a start yeah. it's uh it's the way that you learn how to eventually become uh, a lead investor right which is it, what a country or an entrepreneurial ecosystem, what it needs. It needs lead investors, right? Yes. But you, you don't start with that because you may not have enough uh, adequate experience. Uh, and you start with co-investments. So that's fine too. But it's, it's hard because it's not, it's something where building blocks have to be uh, have to be arranged while you're running your startup.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And how do you work? So that means you kind of you're nurturing um, this ecosystem locally. You're um, instilling these thoughts um, mm-hmm. into yes. capital givers that are there already. And yeah. then on the other hand, you're maintaining um, a foot or a hand in, in mm-hmm. the other um, hotspots um, where
2: that's exactly right. Where yeah. you have
1: a connection, and that is how you handle things yes and that also involves you traveling uh frequently of course yes
2: yes yes like a lot but but you know it's that's part of being an entrepreneur is traveling and networking and and creating uh, a network around your ideas and and part of my ideas is this it's you don't only do startups in silicon valley that's it's not something that can be part like it's not it's not possible. There's overinflation already. It's it's a it's a bit of a bubble already. So we need to distribute um, this uh, ecosystem uh, worldwide. And you, the, there's people that have to lead the way. I hope that I'm doing it right here in Italy um but um we'll see right as time goes by there's yeah. an excellent book actually that uh it's called startup communities building an entrepreneurial ecosystem in your city by brad Feld. uh it's it's very um it's a very good read for anybody who wants to know sort of what these building blocks are and what uh okay. what to work on yeah
0: yeah it's, uh, highly it's recommended that. yeah yeah
1: um yeah, I mean, we're um, we're to share a little bit from from my end. I mean, my company, um, Siemens Healthineers, we're um, also building. Um, we have a hub in Silicon Valley, right? But our uh, mission is to carry um, the spark into all. Um, well, the entire company worldwide, also right, and not everyone mm-hmm. can be or should be in Silicon Valley. It, it must be a fundamental mm-hmm. transformation um, yeah. in everyone's. Uh, uh, mind Mindset, and, yeah, yeah, and connectiveness, and um, so yeah, very much resonate with that. So um I want to come to a close with just a personal question. Um, okay. Uh, what What do you think makes you a woman? And then what do you think makes you uh, European? And uh, maybe even a little bit more locally speaking, what makes you a Roman? <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, um, so these are, these are actually three questions.
2: <laughs> let's let's see what makes me a woman. So when I let's if I'm thinking when I interact with uh, other men in in a similar sort of setting or like other CEOs or uh, yeah, I t- think
1: you're female. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, like I feel that my distinguishing features in that kind of a setup are. Um, Uh, the ability not the ability because they they have this ability too it's just that it it comes more natural uh i think for me to listen Mm -hmm. and to be um to be to make that extra effort to being uh nice now i don't mean that men are not nice of course it's just it just comes uh it, it's more of a feminine trait to sort of be welcoming and warm and, and, and listening. And I find myself doing a lot of that and feeling different because I do that. So I guess that's how I, I can tell that that's a woman quality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, European. Did you ask me Europeans? Yes. Okay. European is a good question. Um, hmm. I. Um I feel very uh, tied to sort of the, I, I, there's a strong sort of element of looking back to history that comes with European heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning from things that have been done before uh, in similar set, settings. So let, let me think about like, for example, uh, the, you know, this digital transformation that's overwhelming everyone right in the world and thinking, oh my God, so many jobs are going to go away and people are going to be left jobless because uh, of this, you know, sort of technological wave that's you know, bringing automation and, and, um, and basically, yeah, like, Uh, a data organization as something that is not needed any longer from a human being. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to look back at history and think, you know, we've actually gone through this already and, uh, through the industrial revolution, for example, for manufacturing. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we survived because ultimately the transition involves the creation of many more jobs. There's this, this bit of, of, um, Um, kind of teaching people who are midway through their careers, how to reinvent themselves and learn new skills. That's the hard part. And that's probably going to be challenging this time around, but I know we can do it because we've done it before. And I think this is a very European trait uh, to sort of try and learn from, from history. I'm not saying, you know, that other parts in the world don't have history of course but it's just what i feel distinguishes me a lot from when i'm i you know i have a conversation for example with um with an, an american or a canadian yeah. right it's like i always go back to history and and they find that very uh very telling as well when i make them notice it right so, yeah, yeah um so that's one and then what was the other one? A roman yeah uh, <laughs> roman okay um, oh my god! I don't, I don't know. I, um, well, Rome is, a, is 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 a fascinating city in that, like you
1: know, you but you, you love chose it. to live in also, right, and make that right. your entrepreneurial headquarters. Yeah,
2: it's a place where uh, where that you love and hate at the same time. You know that you have got you know these kind of places where you've got this love hate going on.
1: Uh, I I guess I have it here too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's one of those places where you like see so much that's could benefit from, you know, being done better or, you know, being just, you know, like sort of things like transportation and things that just like, you know, enrage me completely because they could be done so much better. If there were no uh, blocks within the system that are internal blocks, you know, you can't really uh, shatter from the outside, um, so this is this this kind of love hate relationship. I think is is what makes a Roman a Roman, um, because I, I, I'm not the only one. This is how everybody feels in Rome. Uh, they, they love it because it's 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 a beautiful city. You breathe history. You breathe like uh, it, it. You breathe just things that have happened is in the air. You know, you can tell yeah. that you're part of something that has lived a long life and it's still alive. But then you struggle uh, seeing how it can be kept alive <laughs> because yeah. if things keep going in the way they're going, like it's not going to be alive for much longer. And so, yeah, I think this is, this is what makes me Roman, I guess. I never really thought of it <laughs>
1: And uh, seems like there's plenty of entrepreneurial opportunities to attack problems as well. Yes, for the future. Yes.
2: For sure, it's I just, just very hard to, to get them to to work because of all these you know internal sort of yeah. You know, blocks.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're out of time, so um, I want to come to a close. Thank you so
0: much um, for this interview.
2: <laughs> of course. No, thank you, Julia. It's really entertaining. That
0: is the end of my interview with Diva. To share a personal story, after she told me about the Global Shapers network, I was inspired to get in touch and apply to the Palo Alto hub here in Silicon Valley. I got in and a little over one and a half years later now, I'm actually the curator of this hub and I will represent them in Geneva end of August this year. I can definitely say that I have found great community connection and friendship in this group. Having said that, I hope that you will also walk away with some inspiration from this conversation and take action. Please also subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and join our Here She Is email list. A new podcast episode is launching every fourth Thursday of the month. Until then, think big, act bold and beware of bias.